My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It doesn't mean that you have to go without to buy investment property. It just means you have to be very careful in managing your money and, and to not be extravagant. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Jan Summers, a successful property investor and author of a series of award-winning property investment books. Like renovating a house from the ground up, Summers will share her story and show how you can manage your money by thinking big but start small. Best-selling author of the Building Wealth series and the investment property expert Jan Summers relives her long journey from school teacher to mother to property investor to one of the most reputable sources of education on property in Australia. My name's Jan and uh, yeah, I've done an awful lot, not only in property investing but uh, I've been a teacher, I've been a barmaid, I've done just about everything in life and uh, I can look back and I hope that the experience has uh, been very helpful to other people. So, what does Summers do in any given day? Well, I'm, I'm a bit of an early bird and I'm also a, a late lark too. I'm usually up between about 5 and 5.30 because my husband goes cycling. Uh, I have a cup of tea and then I always go for a walk. I've all, all been for a walk for about the last 50 years of my life, very early in the morning, sometimes with a dog who only recently passed away, but uh, now I do it with my daughter who has a young baby. I do a lot of paperwork when I get back between 7 and 9, pay bills, do things, and then I have a late breakfast about 9 o'clock. And after that, it's more paperwork or it might be I've got a renovation to do somewhere. It might be cutting trees, fixing kitchen cupboards, sewing curtains, or it might be these days minding the, the two grandsons. Or we go to Europe once a year to do a hiking trip and uh, I might spend a lot of time planning for that. This year we're going to the Pyrenees, so I have a pretty full day, <laughs> not too many spare moments, but in the middle of that I squeeze a light lunch. <laughs> then, about, then about four, I'll, uh, I'll do another hour's exercise, a little bit more intense, maybe a swim, maybe a bike ride at the gym, never on the road. Uh, might be a sw- just anything to, to, to fill in that hour before dinner. And we have an early dinner about 5.30, Watch the news. I'm not sure what for. You can miss it for two two months and catch up on where you left off. Um, and then my favourite shows, whodunits like Agatha Christie, um, something on the History Channel, Rugby League in season, cricket, um, 
and then I'll go to bed about 11. Uh, or unless, unless I get stuck on Ancestry.com and then I'm up until about 2 in the morning. Wow, you have a very, very full day there. You mentioned there's a large component of your daily rituals seems to be exercise, which is quite important. Does that help with the mindset and also help you with what you do day to day? It does. It always has. Um, you not only think better, but you sleep better. Um, I've been the same for 50 years of my life. Uh, I just love getting out to do something and, and enjoy the world for what it is. She has also developed many varied skills over a decades-long journey which she has put to good use in her properties. I guess you asked me in the beginning, uh, how would I describe myself? And I think probably the best answer in hindsight now is is I was just a jack of all trades. I, I learned a lot about a lot of things. I wasn't necessarily a builder or a renovator or a good financier or not even the best property investor, but I was prepared to have a go and learn a lot of things along the way. Property investing was never the plan for Summers, who didn't even know that she wanted to be a teacher until she fell into it and found her feet. Very much like an entry into the property world. I stumbled is another good word to use because that's how I got into teaching. I did um, uh, three years at university. I took a year off because I couldn't think what I would do next. I spent a year in in Europe and travelling overseas before anyone knew what the word was, travelling overseas. And then I came back and I thought, what do you do next? Well, so I did a diploma in education and became a teacher. Uh, And I was always intrigued about the research. I knew how to to dig out information. That was my strength. And and so once um, I'd finished teaching and we had a young family, I was able to dig out sufficient information on on property that um, made it work for us. After retiring from teaching in the 80s, Summers continued her love of education into a new passion, property investing. When we had a lot of properties underway and I was busy buying property and doing things to property and having kids and family and uh, I didn't really have time for teaching then. Mm, mm. But I did join, I did do a lot of uh, teaching in the sense that uh, I lectured on on property investment to um, uh Oh, probably two and three times a week for, for many, many years, which I really enjoyed. Again, it was an accidental passion that she found herself in as originally she had absolutely no interest in property investment. We grew up with the idea that um, we knew how to save money. We were taught a very good monetary value and we were also taught a very good work ethic. And it just seemed natural that the first thing you did when you got married was that you bought a property, which we did, Mm. more because that was the traditional way of doing things. We moved to the other side of town, we bought another property. We moved back to the other side of town, we bought another property. And and this went on for quite some time before we went back and forwards to to Sydney. We actually never bought a property in Sydney, but I can't say I ever became interested until the mid the mid-80s, when I had family and strangely enough with three children at home, I had a lot of time to make a lot of phone calls, there was no internet then, do a lot of homework, um, understand the, the tax system as it related to property and understand how good an investment it had been to us in the last 10 years. So I never started out with that, with our first property, with property is a good investment, let's get rolling. It's a very humble journey that you've gone through. 
I hope that I can short circuit that that uh, plan for a lot of people by saying, yes, look, get into your first home because there's too many people who will just hesitate and say, I can't afford it, but but you can. And you've really got to look at um, uh, the basics in property and get started straight away. You can't start with a six-bedroom, three-en-suite house. You, you've got to start small. We all started small somewhere. I have people who say to me, oh, look, I, I, we've just bought our first home and it's got three bedrooms and one bathroom and and uh, it's it's only 10 squares. I said, well, well, that's really good because our, our first home was um, three really small bedrooms, one really small bathroom, and it was only 7.4 squares or 74 square metres in, in, in the new terminology so we started really really small and and people need to get that idea that if you want to get into the market uh, i don't apologize but sorry yeah you do have to start small absolutely baby steps think big but start small coming up after the break we'll delve into what happened after running her seminars our property investing started mostly by accident. We bought our first property in Kippering, which now, act, incidentally and accidentally, is uh, is only about 100 metres from the new Kippering railway station. Hear about how she discovered how to use equity to build her portfolio. I had a lot of information about property that no one else had back in the late 80s. I had an enormous amount of information. Well, what do I do with it? And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. The seminars have been an exciting chapter of her life, but it wasn't forever. I virtually finished doing seminars now in about 2004. I had um, belonged to a, a skipping organisation that my daughter was very keen on. And I decided with my organisational skills that I could organise a world's event, which we did. We had people from about 30 different countries come to the Gold Coast and we had the World Championship skipping on the coast. So I took a year off because I could afford to take a year off and I really enjoyed doing it. And I thought, I probably enjoy doing this and I don't um, necessarily... Uh, need to go back doing seminars anymore, which I really did. I didn't do it certainly for the money or for the sale of books. And when I stopped enjoying it, uh, it was time to, it was time to stop. Mm. And probably about that time, although we had been involved in renovating properties on a small scale before that, that's when I became much more involved. I'd be the first to go and check out the kitchens and check out the roller doors and and uh, and do a lot ourselves from, from that point on. However, it has not all been smiles and easy work for Summers over investment journey where the fickle nature of the property market could have been the end for her. We had bought quite a lot of properties in, in the 80s and with a clear intention of keeping them. I already had this buy and keep mentality back then except that we had been so successful, I thought, well, we've been very successful, I can afford to dabble a little bit and buy a property and renovate it and do it up and then flick it on and make even more money. So we bought a property in in 1988 and we paid exactly 50000 for it. Mm. And it was, it was a dump. 
it was a dump, but we decided we could renovate it and then on-sell it in a short period of time. So we got in and ripped out the carpet and did everything we could possibly do. I can't recall exactly, but we probably spent three to 5000 10% of the property's value at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking, well, that's watered up to 55. Maybe we can sell it for 60, 65, and um, that's a good start with with a renovation. So we got the same agent back again, and he walked in and he had a look and he said, um, uh, you really want to know what it's worth? I said, yeah, I'd like you to sell it for us again. He said, well, I still think I can only get $50,000 for the same price that you paid. I thought, bugger, what have we done all this work for? all this work and spent all this money and now it's not worth anything more than what we paid for it. And it probably wasn't. It was it it was started a dump and it really was always a dump. We probably needed to spend much more money on that to, to make it to make it work. Hmm. So we decided to put some tenants in it. We decided to put some tenants in it for the two or three years and um probably more through to follow my commitment and at least make something work, the market turned and we decided to sell it. And that was about 89, 1989, the market had really, really shot along through the end of 88 and 89. There was a share market crash in 87, followed by a property boom because all the money poured out of shares and into property. And we were lucky to sell it at 86000 That's not really a bad story. It wasn't because of our skill in renovating. It wasn't because we had um, picked the time of the market. We were very lucky. We weren't experienced in renovating. We shouldn't have had a buy-sell uh, mentality. And we were just lucky that the change in the market got us out of trouble. And from that point on, it's really been a very strong buy-to-keep philosophy. That's interesting. From that experience, though, it really taught us the lesson that you can put in all the money into renovating, but not necessarily get an increase in value in a short period of time. That's right. And and it also teaches you that you need to identify your skills. At that stage, I was a basic hammer and nails girl. I didn't have a lot of skills in, in knowing how, to, how a kitchen was put together. I do now because I've done a lot of renovations, all with the idea of, of keeping the property and just making it more rentable. But at the time, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, I wasn't uh, um, I wasn't skilled enough to know what renovations needed to be done, and I really didn't have the um, the backing or the financial backing to say uh, I can buy this and and be able to flick it on and make ten or twenty. And if I don't, well, I'll just buy another one and make even more money. So it was a good lesson in, in not only identifying your personality, but in identifying your skills as well. The best moment for Summers was at the very beginning, where still a novice to the game, she discovered how to use equity to build her portfolio to the impressive figure it has become. A few years probably, I was in Sydney when I had one of those aha moments that um, we'd gone down there in the early 80s and we had quite a few properties in Brisbane and we wanted to buy into the Sydney market but I didn't think that we could afford to because at that stage and probably now too, property down there is twice as expensive as it is in Brisbane. Mm. 
And so I said, well, well, that means we'll probably have to sell two properties in Brisbane in order to buy down in Sydney. But I did have a chat with a real estate agent and and he, he wasn't too interested in me because we had one income. I, I was pregnant with our first child and I didn't have a job. Uh, and here I was asking a lot of questions about property. So he was trying to fob me off until he discovered that we did have a lot of property in Queensland. And, and he made a very profound statement to me then. He said, lady, with, with what you've got in Queensland, you could have probably buy four properties down here in Sydney. And he explained how using the equity and borrowing the money and I came home and I thought about it and I started looking up some more properties and I thought, no, it took another few years before the idea gelled. In fact, it was probably exactly four years. It was 87 by the time we were on a roll and and it all fell together. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's always time that always tells us. Back at that point in time, do you remember how much the properties were in Brisbane compared to Sydney? Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. The properties in um, in Brisbane were around about the 50,000 mark and in Sydney, you're looking at 100,000. Wow. Compare that to today, the the average price or the median price in Brisbane is about the 500,000, give or take, but the median price in in, in a Sydney is, is over the million mark now. So I, spe- I suppose we're still relative in value all that's happened and uh, even when I wrote the book the the property's values were still of that nature I tell people look if you think the book's out of date just go through and add a zero to everything history repeats itself and Summers recounts how much property cost back in the 70s 35 years ago yes that's right well even going back to 72 when we bought our first property that was always the case we we bought our first property at eleven thousand at that time. Sydney properties were around about the twenty twenty five thousand dollar mark. That's just that's how it has been and it always is. And I guess that's my strength in in property is the longevity that I've been in the industry and I've seen these things happen and come and go. And uh, over almost forty five years of, of since we bought our first property. Rather than keep every property they've bought since the 1970s, Summers and her husband have begun selling off some of their investments to reduce debt. And as they near their 70s, due to the work that is required to maintain so many properties. We did sell a property. Um, and in the last few years, we've sold a few properties to wind down the debt. I mean, my husband and I, we're, we're approaching 70 and and it's time to look at um, uh, other things and for, for want of, well, we can't continue having a huge portfolio. My kids keep saying, I can't look after that, Mum. And so it's time to probably just, we have moved on a few in just in the last two years. So after doing so much and accomplishing what seems like everything there is to accomplish, what else is there left to be excited about? Probably um, it, it's a complete turnaround that now our family has grown up and I hope that some of the information that we've learned along the way has rubbed off and clearly it has because they've all been able to buy property. So I'm very keen to pass on even more information to to help them. Um, some, one of our kids is doing a, a renovation so I can help them know where the kitchen benches and walls are and knock out walls, fix drainage problems. Um, help them to work out the right way to borrow money. I help draw up the plans for my daughter's house. 
so I think it, it, it's been time to help the family. I think I've helped a lot of people along the way. And now that my kids are all old enough and I think they've got the, the um, property investment message well and truly, I can channel a little bit more time back into them. So, is it a summer's legacy? Will we be reading the next book in the line of succession? Or are her kids on their own path? I think they all have their own careers. It's something that we've been very strong on. It's not like the farmer who hopes that the son will become the farmer and so on ad infinitum. Uh, I had a special interest in, in property and renovations and my husband had a special interest in in computing, but it's not something we've ever said, hey, look, here's, here's the six inches deep of um, the manual that um, goes with the computing software program. Um, you can take that over if you want. I, they're interested, but they're not interested in this business. And I think it's really important to allow children to develop their own set of skills and channel their energy into what they really want. Thank you to our guest, Jan Summers, for sharing an amazing story on Property Investory. If you want to hear more stories like this, visit propertyinvestory.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.